This evening we turn in God's holy word to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, we're going to begin reading at verse 24 this evening. And when the messengers of John were departed, he began to speak unto the people concerning John. What went ye out into the wilderness for to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they which are gorgeously apparelled and live delicately are in king's courts. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and much more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. For I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And all the people that heard him and the publicans justified God being baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of him. And the Lord said, Whereunto then shall I liken the men of this generation? And to what are they like? They are like unto children sitting in the marketplace and calling one to another and saying, We have piped unto you and ye have not danced. We have mourned to you and ye have not wept. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine. And ye say, He hath a devil. The Son of Man is come eating and drinking, and ye say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified of all her children. And now the following is our text this evening, verses 36 through 50. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed five hundred pence and the other fifty. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love me most, love him most? Simon answered and said, 
I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet. But she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss. But this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint. But this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, first of all, by way of introduction this tonight, I selected this text with purpose. Not only do we need to hear God's word as it comes to us with application to the Lord's Supper and the thankfulness required of us who have been washed by Christ's precious blood, but I also felt compelled by the announcement that was made this morning to call your attention to a proper attitude required of us when someone falls into sin and is recovered by the wonderful mercy and grace of God. Necessary for us. You know, that after all is the purpose of the announcement as well. An announcement is not to to add to the embarrassment or shame of the person who has fallen and been restored, that announcement is for our sakes, that we might know his restoration and receive him. There is an element here that makes it also particularly applicable for a sermon following communion. And that element is found in the instruction that Jesus tells us, whosoever has been given, whosoever has been forgiven much will in turn love much. That's a necessary reaction. That's a necessary response to being forgiven much. And that when we have been forgiven, then our hearts are filled with gratitude. And our lives show that gratitude. So I intend to emphasize the 47th verse of this chapter this evening. In order to do that, it's necessary that we contemplate the setting the company of people to whom we are introduced in this text, 
as well as their spiritual character and condition as revealed to us here. And we hope to learn a lesson here for our own spiritual life. Also, still by way of introduction, we must notice that we have in this text a simple statement of fact. He or she who has been forgiven, who has forgiveness of sins, loves. You could turn it around and say, he who loves has the forgiveness of sin. But there is no admonition here. The text doesn't say, please love. The text does not say, let us love. But there is here a simple statement of fact, and there's no exception. Because even though it's true that we who are forgiven do love, we don't love always in the way we're called to love. There is in us only a small beginning of the new obedience. And the reason that we do not always love as we are called to love may well be because we're often not conscious of the greatness of the sins that have been forgiven us. This text again serves to remind us how much has been forgiven us in order that we may be built up in the love of God. So I call your attention to this text under the theme, The Penitent Received. And we just look at this text considering two points. First of all, the penitent received by whom? And secondly, the penitent received in what way? When I speak of the penitent received, I speak in the first place of the woman in this text. And when I speak by whom she was received, you notice that it was not by Simon, the man into whose house she came. About this Simon, we we know nothing except what we learn in the text. And we learn in the text that Simon in the first place was a Pharisee. And the Pharisees usually hated Jesus. The Pharisees hated Jesus because they considered themselves righteous and having the ability to obey the law of God. And Jesus consistently called them to repentance. Jesus preached the gospel not for those who are righteous but for those who knew they were sinners in the sight of the perfectly righteous and holy God. And while the Pharisees wished to be regarded as the best and most religious party of the church, the true denomination of Jews, if you will, Jesus openly and publicly denounced them 
as being like whited sepulchers. Beautiful outward, carved tombstones, decorated with flowers, polluted inwardly, dead men's bones. And it became apparent that Simon was such a Pharisee. If he lived today and had the same attitude as do many yet today, he wouldn't have hesitated to partake of the Lord's Supper. In fact, he would have looked with scorn upon some of the others who did partake. Simon wouldn't hesitate to partake of the Passover feast in Israel. It was tradition after all of which all the Jews partook. The blood of the Passover didn't mean anything to him personally. But the meal was good. You see, not knowing himself as a sinner, Simon had no need for a savior. Simon was one of those who who regarded the covenant with God is some sort of a contract so that they might claim a certain reward for who bring a definite number of good works. The bond of fellowship with Jesus Christ, that relationship of friendship which is only by faith, they wanted nothing to do with. because they separated themselves in arrogance from the publicans and sinners, deeming it far beneath their dignity to commune with them. While Jesus, on the other hand, not only openly communed with them, he openly sought their company because he would save them. Now, perhaps you think I'm being too harsh on Simon. And by implication, anyone in the church today who holds those attitudes. Perhaps you say Simon might have been a Pharisee by name, but but he wasn't a Pharisee at heart. After all, why did he invite Jesus to come into his home to eat with him if he actually hated him, as did the other Pharisees? Was he not perhaps a Nicodemus, eager to learn at the feet of Jesus the way of salvation? But according to this passage, Simon was a true Pharisee. We don't know what Simon's motive was in inviting Jesus into his home. We do know the Pharisees often sought contact with Jesus from motives other than love. They often came with hypocritical smiles on their faces, but with devilish plans in their hearts, hoping to trip him up and find something for which they could accuse him and have reason to have him executed. We don't know Simon's purpose. But we know that it wasn't motivated by love, or even superficial friendship 
And that's evident by how he treated Jesus. Simon was indeed a true Pharisee. And that became evident the moment Jesus entered his home. The moment Jesus entered his house, Simon insulted him. He showed Jesus no respect. He refused to perform even the customary acts of hospitality. He didn't greet Jesus with the customary kiss. He didn't give him water with which to wash. He didn't honor his guests by anointing his head with oil. He was rude. And Jesus said nothing. Silently, he reclined at Simon's table, knowing that before long he would be given opportunity to rebuke Simon and to make his glory, Jesus' glory, known. And that time soon came. Because in walked this woman. She had not been invited. She surely did not fit in with the guests in that house. She came in with bitter, heartfelt repentance, searching for Jesus. When we read that this woman was a sinner, the point is she was known as a sinner in the city. She was a public sinner, perhaps even a whore. And Simon instantly recognized her as a sinner in that city, as is evident when he murmurs to himself that Jesus evidently didn't know what manner of woman this was that was touching him. Yeah, she had been a very bad woman. And finding Jesus, she went to him and stood behind him weeping. And her tears flowed freely, falling upon Jesus' feet. And then she kneeled down and with her long hair began to wipe Jesus' feet of her tears. And again and again, she kissed those feet. And finally, she anointed them with the ointment that she had carried with her for that very purpose. Simon began talking within himself. He cast judgment on this woman and on Jesus. And he condemned them both. While the angels in heaven were rejoicing over the repentance of this woman, Simon condemned her and Jesus with her. But Jesus received her. Not only did Jesus receive her, but he did so publicly. He turned to Simon and he spoke in a parable. The parable is that of a creditor who had two men owing him money, the one owing him 500 pence and the other 
50. And when they were unable to pay, the creditor forgave them their debts. And then Jesus asked Simon, who of these debtors will love him most? Simon must answer, even though in doing so he seals his own condemnation. I suppose he whom he forgave the most. And Jesus answered him, Thou hast rightly judged. And then Jesus turned to the woman and speaking to Simon, he compares the woman with Simon. Verses 44 and following, he said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house, thou gavest me no water for my feet. But she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. And then Jesus explains the contrast. between Simon and the woman, and there you have the verse that I want to emphasize tonight, verse 47. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. What a beautiful picture we are given in the words of this text. Here we see a sinner who knew herself as such in distinction from the self-righteous Pharisees, and Jesus came into this world to save sinners from their sin. Here we see a sinner who had come to Jesus in faith, in the faith that he had by promise redeemed her from sin and death, and that Jesus would not cast her off, because he never sends away sinners who come to him in true repentance. Do you see the comfort and assurance in this text? We're all sinners. Maybe not so publicly as was this woman, but sinners in the sight of God who knows not only our outward deeds, there is nothing that escapes his sight in connection with our outward deeds. But beside that, he knows our thoughts. He knows our desires. He knows our motives. Yes, we are sinners. 
And the picture of this woman weeping at the feet of Jesus gives us the assurance that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But that brings me to my second main point. We have to see the way in which this woman came to Jesus. She came in the consciousness of forgiveness. She was a sinner who had come to repentance because she came to sit at the feet of Jesus in sorrow over her sin. She came to him not only as one known in the city as a sinner, but as one who knew herself as a sinner. Unable to deliver herself from the mire of sin into which she had fallen. Cast herself. She was a sinner who even at that moment believed in Jesus as the one who already saved her by the blood of his promise and who could and would lead her from the way of destruction into everlasting life and glory. She was a sinner who came to Jesus with a mixed feeling of pain and joy, lamentation and sorrow. She indeed had pain in remembering her sin. The tears she shed were tears of pain. But mixed with those tears of pain were tears of joy. She had joy in the consciousness that she was kneeling beside him who would not cast her off, but would receive her, forgive her sins, and give unto her life everlasting. She didn't come to obtain forgiveness. Some would interpret this text to say that this woman's sins are forgiven because she loved much. That's contrary to all scripture. Our sins are not forgiven because we loved, but rather because God loved us. That's contrary to the parable as well. The debtors are not pictured as receiving forgiveness because they loved, but as loving because they had been forgiven their debts. And the thought that she was forgiven because of her love to Jesus, is contrary to verse 47, as as is very evident in the original, forgiveness took place prior to this demonstration of love. And therefore Jesus said, her sins are forgiven, which is evidenced in her loving mind. Her forgiveness became evident in her loving much. She didn't hope to obtain redemption and salvation by washing and anointing Jesus' feet. She came with the subjective assurance in her heart that there is forgiveness with God in Jesus Christ. And that was revealed in her love 
given as a thank offering to her Lord and Savior. And therefore we see that the forgiveness of sins is shown here as the source of that love. But what is the forgiveness of sins here? It's not merely the blotting out of sin. Our sins, after all, were blotted out in Christ's blood more than 2,000 years ago or some 2,000 years ago. The cross, together with the resurrection, is the blotting out of the sins of all God's children. But the forgiveness of sins is the personal application of that blotting out. Forgiveness is this, when God comes to us and assures us that when the sins of his people were blotted out at Calvary, our sins were blotted out. And God gives us that assurance through his word, the gospel. But as I've said before, you don't obtain assurance You don't obtain forgiveness, rather, merely by reading the Bible. Because your name isn't written there. But God, through his word and by his spirit, assures us that our sins have been blotted out. So that through faith, faith given us by God, We appropriate that word even as it comes to us by the preaching of the gospel. And so taking that word to ourselves, we receive the testimony of the Holy Spirit that our sins are forgiven. Christ speaks through his word. Also today, and by his spirit, Your sins are forgiven you. And we must hear that word. We must hear Jesus say to us, Your sins are forgiven you. That's why he has this gospel preached to us. And that's why he has instituted the sacrament of the Lord's Supper for us that we might see what he has done and hear his word, your sins are forgiven you. This woman heard those words of Jesus. In forgiveness, she came to render thanks to God. Thanks which she knew would never be enough for what Christ had done for her. And even while shedding those tears of lamentation and victory, she heard the testimony of Jesus. Your sins are forgiven you. Not only that, but she came to Jesus in love. In love, that revealed her assurance of forgiveness. And that's always the case with the children of God who know the greatness of their sins and miseries and the work of God in their deliverance. 
we can never merit redemption or salvation or forgiveness of sins. We are totally incapable of meriting anything with God but damnation. But when we have received redemption and salvation and have known in our hearts that our sins are forgiven by that true faith in Jesus Christ, then we show our gratitude to him. Love is a covenant idea. It's a covenant concept. And then the covenant is not a, not a contract with obligations and rewards. But again, it's that, that relationship, that bond of fellowship between us and the living God in Jesus Christ. To love God means that our enjoyment is found in his fellowship. It means that we desire to please him and hate to be displeasing to him because we love him. And that love is the inevitable fruit of forgiveness. The one who has received from God the assurance of his or her sins being blotted out also loves. That's inevitable. Why? Because when God gives forgiveness, he also gives love. And that love is an active love. How does it act? In the first place, that love becomes active in confessing the Lord. This woman came into this company of people in which Jesus was not loved, and in which she was not loved. Talk about an uncomfortable situation. And she was not ashamed to confess her Lord in that company. Imagine that. Sometimes we're ashamed to confess the Lord in the church and among his people. In the second place, in, this, in the active love of this woman, there was an acknowledgement of Christ as her Lord. There was service in her action. She washed Jesus' feet. If we confess Jesus, we're going to serve him as our Lord. In the third place, there was sacrifice in the action of this woman. Does the change have to be squeezed from our pockets in the service of God while we pursue the pleasures of this life? Then something's wrong. Maybe you've not been forgiven much 
if such is the case. This woman wanted to glorify Christ. And she did so freely from the heart. Freely giving to him, though it cost her. She anointed Jesus' feet with precious ointment. Costly ointment. Yes, her love was active and it was much. Because she had been forgiven much. That love of the forgiven is a great love. The Lord makes a distinction between much and little. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. We mustn't draw the wrong conclusion from that. The meaning is not that the one has much sin and the other has little. Sometimes we speak of gross sins and little sins. Be careful. Our sin is always much. We sin against the infinitely holy God. We lift up our fists against him when we sin. That's our rebellion. That's never little. That's always much. Nor must we think from this statement that sins are forgiven one by one. Sometimes we like to think that we can seek forgiveness for one sin and receive forgiveness for that one sin. While we, while we hang on to all the others. That's impossible. Either our sins are forgiven, or we have no forgiveness. When the Lord speaks of little and much, he's speaking from the viewpoint of Simon and this woman, from the viewpoint of their consciousness. If you should ask this woman, she would confess Without hesitation, I have much sin. I have sinned against God greatly. She knew that. That's why she came to Jesus. But if you should ask Simon the same question, he would say, for the sake of his conscience, uh, I, ha I have a little sin. But I don't curse, I don't murder, I don't steal, I haven't killed anybody, I haven't been found in bed with another man's wife. That was the case before Simon's conscience. Little sin. But in fact, it's not so. In reality, our sin is always much. The question is, do you know that that is so? You have to know that. To know your Savior. 
You think that God would have given his only begotten son to the death of the cross if our sin was little? If maybe a creature or an angel could have taken care of it? It took the death of his own son to pay for your sins and mine. We have to see that. Also, as we reflect upon the Lord's Supper as it was administered this morning, much forgiveness, therefore much love. There again, the woman is speaking about Simon and the woman as they become manifest. You know, beloved, there are many today I'm speaking of the church who are like Simon. Who professing to be Christian have very little forgiven them because they love Christ very little. Some love Christ intensely, but how few they be. This is the age of little love for Christ. It's all about self. Some, many, think that they are little sinners. Like to compare themselves to others. So that they don't look so bad. Know how to wear the mask. How to cover things up. And we're told today what a little thing sin is and what a little place hell is and, and how long or how short the punishment of sin will last. Everything's according to scale. Preachers don't want to hurt anyone's feeling. Everyone has to feel good about himself or herself have to have high self-esteem. And as you diminish the guilt of sin and the punishment of sin, so you diminish the need for forgiveness of sin. And little forgiveness, little love, Jesus said. God forbid that before long we be found like the Pharisees, getting out the balances, measuring works of love, valuing our love for Christ by what we do, while taking our eyes off Him, Much forgiveness, much love, says Jesus. You know, in reality, we can't love much or little. We either love or we don't love. 
But as I said in my introduction, even though we who are forgiven love, we don't always love. Not with the activity that love requires of us. So we have to examine ourselves as did this woman. And we have to see the application of the Lord's Supper. See your sins and look at the price of your redemption. To whom much has been forgiven, the same loveth much. Is that true of you? As those forgiven, may the love of God in Christ Jesus be seen in you and in me. Amen. Father, we need forgiveness again. And we come to Thee because we know that Thou never turnest away those who come to Thee and seek forgiveness in true sorrow of heart. Father, we thank Thee for the Gospel, for the wonder of Thy grace in giving us Jesus. Grant that our love for Thee might be seen in our lives and in our dealings one with another. For Jesus' sake, amen.